This is a McKillop Farm Management Group podcast. We acknowledge and respect the traditional owners of the ancestral lands, Potterwich to the north, Jawajali to the east, Bowendick to the south and Meetung to the west of the Limestone Coast region. We acknowledge Elders past and present and we respect the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of Aboriginal peoples to country. Welcome to The Prosperous Farmer, a podcast telling the stories of farmers in the Limestone Coast and Western Victoria. I'm Meg Bell, and today I'm chatting to Kalangadoo farmer and ag science graduate Robbie Childs and agricultural consultant and Struan farmer Jen Lillacrap. Robbie farms at Kalangadoo with his family, growing sheep, wheat, beans, barley, pasture seed and even carrot seed. Jen has extensive experience in the cropping sector in the Limestone Coast and played a large role in McKillop Group's success in its early days. Welcome, Jen and Robbie. Thanks for being here. Robbie, to you first. Tell us a bit about your farm operation at Kalangadoo. So you've summed it up pretty well, but just do trade lambs and seed crops and the normal base crops. Yep. Tell us a bit more about that. What are the base crops? Wheat, beans, canola, barley, just the usuals. But moving more towards that way from a lot of strange seed crops yeah. and <laughs> going a little bit more back to basics and then okay. focusing on the seed crops that we know work. And yeah, great. Yeah. So what are those seed crops that work well? White clover. We're growing that, yeah. um, which is a perennial that runs for three to four years mm-hmm. under irrigation, and then summer wheat build-ups and barley build-ups too. Yep, great. And what about the sheep part of your operation? So that's just trading lambs. Okay. Yep, so great. quite simple. Buy-in, sometimes do two rounds through summer yep. on the bean stubbles and fodder crops and also on the clover. And this year, I know you're going to be trialling something a little bit different with your lambs and putting them onto a standing bean crop. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So just being a bit reactive with bean price. And so we'll work out weight gains and see how we go this year and then have hopefully a trigger point next year for profitability of both options. And yeah. Great. That'll be excellent. Why did you choose to pursue a career in agriculture? You obviously went to uni and studied, but what, what made you decide to do that? Growing up on the farm, you, you get a fair passion for it and it's a pretty rewarding job. Every day is different and the sky's the limit as far as what you, what you want to take on and, and yeah, it's, it's great. I love it. Good. What, what are the particular parts that you like about farming? I love cropping, I love machinery, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I've just sort of taken a liking into the sheep, and I think a big part of that is actually having a dog that I love. Great. <laughs> An important part, yeah. Yeah. Just the diversity of what you're doing every day, and yeah, I think that's that's the main thing I like. Yeah. Nothing's monotonous, always changing. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You've recently joined our ops committee. Why'd you get involved, and what do you hope to achieve out of being part of the committee? I got involved to be involved with industry leaders, have a bit more of a say on trials and extension. Hopefully have a bit of a base for that now, being home for a few years. And, yeah, have more of a focus on sustainability and uh, nutrition and the environment. And also it's a bit of personal development as well. Yeah, and for a bit sure. of fun. <laughs> I'm glad the answer wasn't 
because I got harassed to join. <laughs> I did get harassed a little bit. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and you've been involved with the the project, the GRDC Hyperwood and Crops project. I'm going to get Jen to tell us a bit more about that in a minute. But can you, from your point of view, do you, could you like to just tell us a little bit about what, what that project's about and what you've been doing? We've been meeting and doing crop tours a few times a year and it's been really great getting perspectives from different agronomists as well as farmers and experts like Jen and John. It's been very helpful. Excellent. Well, Jen, tell us a little bit from your point of view. You're the project officer for the GRDC Hypeyielding Crops Project. Tell us a bit about what it's about. What are you trying to achieve? So the ultimate game uh, goal of the project is to close the yield gap which we have in the high rainfall area and it's about trying to realise the potential that we have in the high rainfall cropping districts. Tell us a bit about how you're going about that. There's a number of aspects of the project. So we have research centres of excellence, which are research sites for small plot replicated trials and an annual field day. We also then have upscaling that and taking it with growers doing paddock scale farm trials or paddock scale trials. And that really is about trying to see how that relates to a, a commercial scale. So validating those results and also I suppose testing and actually quantifying some of the differences of different strategies that growers want to try to increase yields. So they're the paddock scale trials. Then we also have crop walks and meetings which are with the hyper-yielding innovators groups. So they're groups of growers and agronomists and so that's about providing a platform for growers and these agronomists to come together and share their knowledge and experience and so it's about that peer-to-peer learning so we do that a couple of times a year then we also have the hyper-yielding benchmarking and awards paddocks which is about collecting data so that we can compare yields, characteristics of paddocks and a range of agronomic practices against benchmarks which are specific to our region and to the high rainfall and other paddocks from across the area and then across the high rainfall zone of the whole nation. And that helps to identify where are the opportunities for improvement but also perhaps highlight some potential issues that we need to think about in the future. It's been a great project, I think, for the growers to be involved with. Would you agree, Robbie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Some really exciting stuff happening and some great people involved. Tell us a bit more about who is actually involved with the project. Who have you had come to speak and who else is helping with the research? The project is led by Far Australia. And then there's nine collaborating organisations. And some of those organisations are providing specialist expertise for the research. But then there's a whole lot of organisations like the McKillop Farm Management Group who are delivering the extension activities, the on-farm trials and the collecting of the data for the benchmarking. And then within our region, we have two 
hyper-yielding crops innovators groups. So that is about 15 growers in each of those groups and we have one or two agronomists who are also involved in those groups. And what we try and do is we have a pre-season planning meeting where we look at, okay, what did we learn from last season? What would we do differently? And then we have crop walks at strategic times. So we try and go ahead of that GS3032 and then again at the GS39. And we try to go to different people's paddocks and gain an understanding of their system, but also go and have a look at what they're doing, what they've tried. So again, it's about trying to share that wisdom within the group, but also bringing in different experts who provide perhaps an outside's perspective or some specialist knowledge. So people like Nick Paul have come along or we've also had John Midwood come along. Lots of um, interesting and very smart people involved, which is excellent, including you. (laughs) Robbie, tell us a bit about the group and what, what made you join it in the first place? Initially, it was probably drinking beer and yarning with farmers. <laughs> probably local knowledge as well, seeing the differences between our area and where the trials were often, like Millicent. That, and that's been fantastic, just weaning information out of local farmers. Um, it's really made the decision-making easier and working out where our limitations are compared to compared to those areas as well. Yeah, so my next question was going to be a bit about what have been the benefits, do you think, to your farm and your business from being part of the group? So it sounds like some of that interpreting the information from other people is, is really helping in your business. Is that the right yeah, way to Yeah, absolutely. Say that? Yeah. yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. So things like the fungicides, not only the timing of them, like you get given it the Millicent one, but what products are working and how they're working. And, yeah, nitrogen, potassium and phosphorus as well. Jen's done some work with potassium and phosphorus trials and then the paddock scale nitrogen is, has been really helpful. Yeah, great. Tell us a bit about what you've learned from the Innovators Group or from maybe the high yielding Crops trial site or the, the Centre of Excellence or any of the other trials that the group members have been doing or maybe something you've been doing on farm. Tell us a bit about what you think you've learned from all of those or any of those trials in particular that you think has really helped you on farm. Sowing time within the group's been really helpful yeah. because rather than just having one or two sowing times with the trial sites, we get a real broad range and yeah the way different varieties react to that broad range as well that's been really helpful different fungicide approaches as well and nutrition approaches and yet the usual nitrogen potassium and and phosphorus has been huge yeah great how do you think being part of the group has impacted your cropping program have you made any particular changes do you think as part of being in the group yeah i think rotation has changed a lot um, having a bigger focus on fertility because what we're seeing time and time again is that the fertility sets the yield not the not the synthetic fertilizer so that's that's changed a lot in us and bringing in a livestock rotation in the cropping system as well that's helped a lot 
and yeah we'll do that into the future yeah great tell me a bit more about fertility what are you doing to increase the fertility in your paddocks no-till and not burning having the perennial clover crops in the irrigated areas as well that that makes a huge difference and you can see the organic matter levels coming up with that and also doing break crops sometimes a double so a winter fodder crop sprayed out and then a summer brassica or something like that or sorghum or something just to keep the dirt alive and then for the following season have hopefully a stonker crop yeah excellent are you seeing the benefits of that already yes yes good (laughs) makes it worthwhile doesn't it (laughs) it does it does need to do more numbers on that (laughs) jen for you what do you think have been the key learnings for the hype yielding crops project so i think that through this project the the biggest thing is that it is specific to the high rainfall so which we've never had before we've always tried to adapt stuff coming from the medium rainfall zone so some of the key things i think are that we've actually been able to identify and we've also through that process we've actually seen commercialization giving growers access to varieties which are better adapted and higher yielding to specific high rainfall districts. I think also we've learnt, as Robbie was talking about, more about developing sort of best practice. So using these varieties what and the high rainfall, what are the agronomic best practices? So we talked about, Robbie talked about time of sowing, nutrition, fungicide strategies. We've also been able to get the data to say, well, not it's not just about yield; it's also a it's more so about optimum economic yields. And we've done that for the three crops being canola, wheat, and barley. I think the hyper yielding crops and the benchmarking and awards programs have accelerated on farm adoption of those outcomes, and we're seeing change at the farm level, which is the ultimate game, and seeing higher yields but also higher returns for growers robbie's talked a little bit about the things that he's tried at home on his farm what about some of the other group members what have they been trialing that you think has been working really well or that has been of benefit to them so i think through the benchmarking i think people have gone oh well this is you know how they're getting these high yields there was some really low-hanging fruit so whether it be time of sowing or timing of nitrogen or an additional fungicide or using plant growth regulators. So they're things that people have implemented straight away and seen the benefits. And I think that we've been able to, I think the doing the paddock scale farm trials has been really important because it is farmers doing those trials and it's got the data behind it. So it's that seeing is believing. And when you're invested in it yourself, then you really do care about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And also I think that it has more impact for growers seeing this on their farm, on someone else's farm or on their own farm. And especially if we've followed that paddock the whole year through or it's on a main road and (laughs) you can see a very obvious difference that people go, I could see that, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And when you watch Jen walk around the crop for about three days, then you think, I better actually take care of this. (laughs) 
and Robbie knows that I will nag him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you've been out there in all weather, haven't you? Yeah, but I think that that's the thing is that growers like Robbie are all have that inquiring mind and are always trialing things and testing things and just with a little bit of support whether it be through the analysis or someone going out and collecting data it is it sort of value adds and so you can feel more confident in the results because everybody's trying things so with if we co- coordinate that there's huge learnings and then with that wisdom within the group. So it's been a very powerful tool for learning. And just putting a bit of data behind those decisions, sometimes you can look at something and think, oh, yeah, that looks great. I'm going to have a crack at that. And then you do it and you think, oh, I probably should have done a bit more research before I did that. Yeah, absolutely, yes. (laughs) So having some of that data I think can be really useful. So, Jen, what's next for the Hyperwooding Crops initiative? Just in the short term, so we're just coming up to harvest. So I've just started doing the assessments, cutting biomass, counting heads, those fun things. (laughs) Uh, So this year I'm doing, we have included barley. So I have 12 paddocks of barley and also I have 13 paddocks of wheat in those award and benchmarking programs and also doing some of those assessments of the paddock scale farm trials. And then next year will be the final year of the project. So again, I think um, we will have what we call the post-harvest meeting, so which is a review of the last season. You know, what, what sort of yields, what quality, what did we learn, what would we do differently, uh, what worked well. So that, and then talk about, you know, pre-season okay what are some of the issues what do I need to be thinking about for this season and then we'll have a couple of crop walks as we do and we'll again have those benchmarking and award paddocks and that will include wheat and barley my personal opinion I think that the initiative has been a successful model for delivering the research development and the extension so having that coordinated and I think that it has been shown to be very effective in affecting on-farm change and getting adoption again which is the ultimate end game until a grower actually adopts those research the research is of no value so I think that it has accelerated that adoption in our area and I think that the model could be rolled out in low rainfall medium rainfall and I've had that many inquiries that there are a lot of people looking for this particularly with the benchmarking and you know just support to do on-farm trials because even though the high rainfall was identified as that's where the real opportunity is and the big gap is it doesn't matter which district you go to that there is still a yield gap that growers can see, look, there is more opportunities and see this as a model as to how they might identify that. So I think, yeah, that would be where I would hope. My next question to you was going to be, yeah, what do you think's next and what would you like to achieve in the next few years after the end of the project? Well, I think that we've probably seen a huge change and outcomes and I really do think that probably the gains are now going to be marginal we're probably identifying like Robbie talked about you know we've got to be thinking about the future how can we make even just 
maintaining these yields sustainable. And there are going to be some issues, whether it's being potassium or phosphorus or fungicide resistance, all of those issues that we're going to have to deal with. You know, the system's always changing, so there's always going to be issues. But I think probably the big gains will be going to some of these other areas where the the yield gap, you know, there's still opportunities. It sounds like there's a lot still to do. There is. There's yeah. always yeah. more, isn't there? There is. Because the thing is that you think you, you, you address one issue, but quite often that that has unintended consequences or other things, you know, evolve, you know, whether it be fungicide resistance or, you know, being taking off high yields. So now we need to start addressing some of that nutrient decline. And there's always something. And then new technologies that are coming along. Yeah, there's always lots of excitement and we can even when you sit in the header and you can see those big yields coming (laughs) in you can sometimes see those ones that are higher can't you and I think most growers are going look there's 13 oh there's 15 (laughs) how do we get to that so you know it it, there'll be I suppose we've had a huge game change it's been a game changer and huge increase in yields of you know maybe 40 percent but I think now the the yield gains are going to be just incremental and, like I say, even just maintaining. Robbie's setting a target for 15 as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I... If I drive forward really quickly and then slow down, <laughs> then it goes up. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Robbie, tell us a bit about your learnings from being involved with the group. Well, I think, I think just going on what Jen said there, the getting the whole group together and because we're growing these bigger yields and we're spending a lot more on them. Having that confidence to do it with with a, like a team of people is is so much better than everyone going out on their own and trying these bigger investments of nitrogen and fungicides and growth regs. So that's been that's been really helpful. As far as the suggestions, I think it's it's really well it's really filled a gap that's the big scale potential set from the Millicent area and the small scale research of this and the fine tuning that you get just sets the reality and what's economical and it's it's been really helpful for that also having john midwood in it as well he's he's worked with a lot of areas in with a lot of soil constraints and coming from somewhere like that he'll come out with quite um not outlandish but um (laughs) drastic approaches to fixing problems and that's been really helpful just thinking outside of the box as well yeah great my next question to you is apart from all the technical bits and pieces that you've picked up along the way and the things that you've trialed what do you think you've got out of being part of the group in terms of maybe a more of a social side or a um, networking type side of things it's been fantastic there's been a lot of beer drunk (laughs) (laughs) No, it's been it's been great, and uh, younger growers as well getting involved with it is is really good. Um, yeah, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, good, excellent. You've met a few people that you didn't know before. Yeah, absolutely yeah, great. So, Robbie, what's next for you on farm? What are you, what are your big plans for the next couple of years? Yeah, focusing on on increasing fertility with these fodder crops. Like I said before, grazing standing crops as well this year. Hopefully, we'll have a fair bit of data from the bean job. And then we'll be able to make price-based decisions for that. 
and comparing the residual N, and you look pretty hard at it when you raise $1,300 a ton. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, put a lot of value on that, which will ultimately simplify the decision-making on the farm as well. It's been quite darty, I suppose, decision-making, um, and just trying to systemise a lot of that stuff and, yeah, hopefully increase the sustainability of the whole system. Excellent. Some big goals there. <laughs> yeah, hopefully achievable. Yeah, I think so. You're going to get 15 tonne before the end of next year, aren't you? Oh, so. yeah, all right. <laughs> Lock it in. Meg said it, it's happening. <laughs> well, Robbie and Jen, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's been a pleasure having you. Today's chat is part of a broader project aimed at building the resilience and profitability of cropping and grazing farmers and is funded by the National Land Care Program Smart Farming Partnerships. The project is delivered by a consortium comprised of Southern Farming Systems, Agriculture KI, Federation University, Precision Agriculture, Glenelg Hopkins Catchment Management Authority, Australian Fertiliser Services Association, Victorian Lime Producers Association and the Department of Economic Development, Jobs, Transport and Resources. Thanks for listening to The Prosperous Farmer, a McKillop Farm Management Group production. You can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at McKillop Group or check out our website at mckillopgroup.com.au. Thanks for listening and see you next time.